Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Chair. And I'm Mike Peter. We're your Sound Only co-hosts. Back from Thanksgiving break, here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts about the millennial holiday lifestyle, holiday-themed hip-hop, <laughs> holiday-themed video games, holiday-themed anime. You know, the random movies on the Hallmark Channel, including the Mario <laughs> Lopez one, which I'm going to spend at least five to eight minutes talking about this episode. Your year in review for your preferred streaming platforms, <laughs> you know, yes. like uh, it's who do you what do you want from me? You know, like it's it's already set in stone. I've been listening to a lot of Peasy and uh, Demon Fuzz this year, so you know, whatever. This is, it's accused, okay. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. There are two things that we, as purveyors of culture, right? There are two, there's a divide in the world. It's, it's the proverbial divide between the people who watch Succession and the people who watch Yellowstone. There's the stuff we watch <laughs> and that we Wait, listen to. <laughs> like, no, just, just before, like, I know that you're rolling right now, man, but can I just... <laughs> For for a brief moment, talk yeah. about the Yellowstone Industrial Complex. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's, There's like I really I was on the plane and I was looking for something to watch after the U.S. Uh, like the USA, uh, the first USA World Cup game, and I was like, as I had like you know 45 minutes before I was about to land, and I tr- like in 1883 a Yellowstone story was an option, and there's 1920. Seven coming out or something. They're going to and Helen Mirren's in it. Yeah, like it's just I didn't know. There's a anyway. Okay, and there's a new season out apparently, and it's going on right now. And I would be none the wiser if it was not holiday season. Holiday season, exactly. But but I bring that that hackneyed contrast up: the prestige versus the populist, right? Because eleven out of twelve months of the year, who am I, Justin Charity? I am critic with a podcast and a byline on the radio.com. I want to talk about the good shit, right? I want to talk about the good shit, but you know what happens. You know what happens, you know, Thanksgiving through the ball drop. What happens? You go home for the holidays and you're not watching. You're not necessarily, I mean, maybe your family has good taste. They probably don't though. Let's be honest, listeners. You go home and you watch whatever the first black 
Christmas movie on TV is. You watch random shit on Netflix. You're not watching the good shit on Netflix. You're not watching Love is Blind. You're watching The Circle, okay? You're watching the Mario Lopez movie. I watched that shit. You're watching, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this. If, if You're watching lot, the they, newest installment of the Vanessa Hudgens thing, you know? Yeah. Like it's. <laughs> but it's real, right? It's like the, this is the time of the year where you just got to give in and accept that you're not in charge of, of the subscription of the remote anymore. Your mom is in charge and your mom wants to watch the Hallmark channel. So that's what you're watching. This week for Sound Only, we just talking about random shit we watched during the holidays. I'm going to be real with you. I watched the Trevor Noah special. And I've, I've profiled Trevor Noah, by the way, back in the day at Complex Magazine. So I actually have some critical insights on the latest comedy special, stand-up oh, comedy special on you Netflix do? from Trevor you Noah. Do? Yeah, a little bit. I think I do. I think I have some big ideas. Perhaps you might regale us. Okay. I'll, I'll be honest with you. So, like, if you think about the main context on this podcast, Michael, that we've talked about stand-up comedy, it's been Chappelle, right? And Chappelle, Chappelle is 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 off in Chappelle land, right? Like he is off on his um, you know, trans jihad, whatever you want to call it, right? And he's he's a provocateur and he's pissed a lot of people he's off and he's stomping around, you know, and uh, you know, <laughs> smoking cigarettes to the hilt about, you know, his right to be and to his opinion, I guess, yeah. you know, however malformed. Right, for sure. And like we, you know, it's like Chappelle to me, whenever we've talked about him, it's like for better or worse, right? Like Chappelle represents that thing in comedy that the the provocateur, right? The guy who sort of wants to to live life on the edge of every everyone's sensibility, the kind of guy who makes the bones about like, oh, I offend everybody, right? And it's easy to criticize a lot of Dave Chappelle's direction in recent years. And until you watch like a Trevor Noah <laughs> stand-up comedy special, and that's the that's like the moment where you you kind of gotta be like, okay, like Dave got might have some points. I don't know. It's like Trevor, Trevor Noah, obviously, like, he's leaving The Daily Show, right? And he's ending his tenure at The Daily Show. And he, I don't know, he is, like, such a resistance core, sort of, like, MSNBC lib type comedian, you know? In a way that's like, hey, I get it, that's a lane, you know? Like, you make kind of very aggressively PG-13 jokes about nothing, <laughs> You know, he has kind of like, you know, kind of B minus impersonations of Obama and Trump and shit like that. Like he kind of I don't know, a lot of his comedy, like, again, it's this very vanilla. Like, uh, you know, autobiographical sort of playing up his background as like a South African black dude, like mixed parents, came to the United States, became super famous comedian, has a really interesting perspective on American culture. And like, I do think a lot of like Trevor Noah's fundamentals are legit interesting. But like, 
I don't know, man. It's just like he has a very glowing guest at the dinner party kind of vibe to like, um, I guess his like approach to cop. The thing that you're, yeah, yeah, it's like it's very, yeah, it's dinner party guests. It's not like, I guess just because we mentioned it and like you know in passing or in contrast, but to continue like this contrast like Dave his posture is something that people write a lot about when they're writing about like his specials like the the newest one and my least favorite is the knee tap with the microphone when he knows a joke doesn't land mm-hmm. but like something that actually works well for him or when he's considered to be in his bag is like just like kind of carrying on a conversation with the first three rows of the audience with his hand in his pocket and smoking a cigarette type of thing. Like, uh, it's a pat, it's like a Dick Gregory vestige. Like I am warming this crowd up before like the musical act comes on, but it's a late night show. So people have already been drinking. So I'm working blue and telling these people about themselves in the most colorful way possible. Like, that's not what Trevor Noah does. Trevor Noah is like, this is everybody, you know, has had the early bird special dinner and is planning to be home <laughs> to tuck their children in yeah, type of thing. It, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's, that's the, that's the difference early that I can like special. read onto <laughs> like <laughs> the, the Trevor point. Noah thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's tough. Like, when I, okay. So back in the day at Complex, right? I think this might have been even maybe not my first profile that I ever wrote, like celebrity profile, maybe like my my second, right? And I went, I, I literally biked over to the west side of Manhattan and like met him in a control room at Comedy Central, like right, I think right as he was starting as host of The Daily Show, right? Like maybe even before sort of his official kind of like debut in the anchor chair. And he was really great to talk to, right? He has this kind of, like, again, to your point, he's like a really good dinner guest. Or maybe alternatively, he's like, oh, when your daughter brings home, like, a really nice guy. (laughs) You know? Like, he's that. You know? (laughs) That's Trevor Noah. That's him. He really Uh. is that, though. And he has that smile. And he light skin. And he got the hair. You know what I mean? It's like he got a nice little roundup. But I remember when I was writing the profile of him and he, he got the nice suit and I'm writing the profile of him. And I think the idea I carried with me while I was writing it. And then ever since, whenever I reflect back on like the, the time I spent with Trevor Noah right at the start of his, his succession of Jon Stewart on The Daily Show was like, yo, you know what this dude really is? Ideally, he's a politician. Like he's actually like, it, it, like as a comedian, like you watch his sort of born a crime, like you read his books and it's like, you, you get how this guy, like, for now, he's a comedian, but you're like, if you're trying to map out what this guy is ideally in the world, whether it's in South Africa or the United States, it's like, that guy is, like, another Obama. Is what yeah, he it's like a, that's is. It's actually kind of like an interesting point. Just because of the way that, like, all of the people that have graduated from Comedy Central, like, in the grandest sense, have sort of been positioned as these arbiters of <clears throat> moral and social justice. Yeah. Like yeah. like these de facto arbiters of 
because I mean, like, it's like I've like, said Oliver, multiple Samantha times. B, yeah, yeah, like we've all like we've said multiple times about like how like before the president elect addressed the nation, like Dave Chappelle did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you know uh, the 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 you know it's sort of like John Stewart has this new Dirty Jobs vibe news show on like. <laughs> Yeah. You know, Apple TV, where he's just kind of like getting to the brass tacks or whatever in a better way than Bill Maurer did, like however many, you know, decades ago. And he started doing the same sort of thing. Like, it's just like all of these comedians, like it's the track is to late night television and then where. And it seems like Trevor Noah is the most obvious choice to transcend that because like, yes, he looks, moves, acts like a politician. I think it's kind of it's but it's so the thing you're identifying is so ubiquitous that I think at this point we're almost like taking for granted how bizarre it is. Like, why did that happen? Why did it happen to be the case that the Daily Show or maybe this sort of like Comedy Central extended universe in that way kind of just became this generator for a, a, a particular like anxiety comedy yeah like anxiety comedy or like social justice anxiety comedy and i don't even mean that in the derogatory way that people often mean social justice i just i mean it neutrally i mean that like i mean but like the thing is is that i like i you know while you're not talking about the thing itself like in a sort of pejorative way i certainly am about the type of television like i really don't get the point like it's like there's it's def it's feeding you like think about the concept in a vacuum of last week tonight. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, what are like it's what are we like and the like the strange phenomenon of John Oliver eviscerates the US prison system in seven minutes videos that we kept seeing, you know? Yeah, it's just yeah. sort of like what what are we doing? <laughs> like exactly. Um simultaneously something that allows the viewer to feel good and doomed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is like the lib, which is like the lib resistance lib mindset, right? Good and doomed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I mean, like it's also like every network has two of those shows at least. And the tools get more homogenized because like, if you go broader, those shows have podcasts and that those networks have, 10 more podcasts that do that exact same. You know what I mean? Like it's... Yeah. Um, yeah. The homogenization is a big part of it. Like I would I would actually say of the milieu that we're talking about right now, I would say one person who actually thought, think, thought, I don't know what the state of his sort of slate is, but like Hassan Minhaj, who I've seen live do stand up, I, I think actually was like a good version of it because I think he's... One, I think just as a stand-up, he's funny. And two, I think Hassan, like Patriot Act, which is the show he had on Netflix that ultimately got canceled. I at least think that when when Hassan did the John Oliver thing, right, of like doing a comedy thing that's really a social justice thing, at least Hassan picked his spots in an interesting way. Like he would, he was like, okay, we're going to do an episode about Saudi Arabia. We're going to do an episode about student loan crisis, right? Like he at least, had a sense of novelty where you could see he was trying to break away from the homogenization like you're talking about 
if not in tone, then in kind of subject matter and how the show is formatted and written. But you're right. I think stuff like the Apple show with Jon Stewart, John Oliver, the like Trevor's Daily Show, all that stuff. And even Colbert, like Colbert on Late Night. It sort of all became this, again, it just became the MSNBC mashup with Comedy Central <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 to bring it back to sort of the original <laughs> subject of this conversation, right? Like Trevor Noah's stand up. It's it's a similar thing. Like I'm not going to I'm not going to jump out the window and compare it to like the Hannah Gadsby thing, but it's so it's Trevor Noah is so autobiographical that I mean like a lot of stand-ups are, right? But Trevor Noah is both so autobiographical and also so earnest that you sort of slip seamlessly between like, oh, I'm watching a comedian being self-effacing about his life to, oh, I'm watching a guy give an Obama speech about pluralism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, man. Like, there are funny bits of it, but it's just Trevor Noah. Again, I can, never not, I can never not look at him and mostly see a guy who's just charming and who's framing. politician. Yeah. yeah. Um. Which I mean is another way to 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 describe like is another way of putting the thing that you are describing to me is framing like uh, it's just free framing of his life for this future platform that he is going to run on. But in what so, country? That's the thing. It's like he would. I guess he could pull the Schwarzenegger, but I don't know. We got to get into the who knows alien man. and sedition laws. Yeah. I don't even know. But yeah, you're right. It's like the one wrinkle in it is like the dudes from South Africa. Like, is he, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if he were just straight up a U.S. citizen, it would be a wrap. Like, Trevor Noah, they would have they would have ran him by now in some Senate, Senate race. He'd be a senator from Georgia or something <laughs> by now. We wouldn't even have Raphael Warnock. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I do understand that. And I do understand how this is the type of year that you might stumble on a Trevor Noah stand-up special. <laughs> um, yes. was that your that was you, you did you put it like who who whose choice was that in the house just okay, so, out of so curiosity is, like, so let me just give you a picture my, my house is this. it was at my mom's house my mom my wife my sister right now in terms of who put it on this is the thing about that Trevor Noah stand up special like it came on of its own volition I don't think any one of us decided to put it on. I think inertia elected that, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes you boot up the Netflix app yeah. and if you don't act assertively if it, within a certain time, inertia just selects something and puts it on and you don't even know how it got on. I think that's how it happened. It's more so like, I do remember watching like a, like a eight part documentary on like this Turkish coach named Tareem who like coached like this crazy, these crazy comebacks in like Euro 2000. Like he just had these really exciting national teams and like he coached for Galatasaray for like 20 years and like, you know, kept leaving and coming back to the club because the city loved him so much, et cetera. And I did not, like, it was like, you just sort of hover over the tile and then it starts playing. Yeah, that's the hovering. That's how and they then, get you the hovering. 
but then like, you know, you get up to to get a glass of water or like, you know, oh, I don't know if I remember if I closed that window or something. And then it's 45 seconds into it. And you're like, eh, I like the intro music. This intro scene is not bad. And then it's like, you know, four episodes later. <laughs> um, which, I mean, like is more or less how I would describe the experience of getting all the way caught up on White Lotus, which I am now. That's okay. happened. Yeah, that, know, get into this, the, please. Get into White Lotus. Talk about it, Micah. Talk okay, about it. Okay, like, <sighs> I was not interested, man. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, just like on, on the... Like, in the same way that, like, I, unless I was around a group of people that make Big Little Lies, like, appointment viewing, I would not have known what happened in that show either. Like, this being, a th I was content to let White Lotus be a thing that passed me by on, you know, bus stop placards and billboards and on the occasional um, podcast ad. However. Uh, I was in New Orleans this past weekend, not going to the Bayou Classic, but seeing some friends from school with my girlfriend. And we got caught in like this massive downpour after going to see the Argentina-Mexico game at a bar, which I needed to see in a bar and not be at the place that we were at at the time. But afterwards, like we were just kind of, we got caught in the rain and it was, and we got soaked and we went back to the hotel room and it was miserable and we were planning on going to the Sazerac Museum. It didn't work out that way. And so we were just like, it's miserable. We're just going to watch whatever's on TV. And the only thing that was like on and that wasn't like, you know, uh, like Bayou Classic post-game, pre-game, sports talk, television, paid programming stuff was White Lotus. And they were just showing like the whole, like all the episodes of like the second season. So... We started on episode two and watched to episode four of the second season and then came home, told my mom about it. And she said, oh, that sounds interesting. Put it on while we're reheating leftovers. And we ended up watching all of season one as well. Not because it's like a particularly great show or even good show. It's just like, the sort of propul propulsive, like, closed-door whodunit that, like, you just kind of will watch the next episode because how how much worse can these people make it for themselves? Well, hold on, but slow down. Are you, you're hedging on calling it good. Is it a not good show? So, okay, so, show? like, all right, I am a fan of, like, the Agatha Christie movies, like, in the same sort of inert way. like. Mm -hmm where they kind of like have all of these embattled actors play like really horrible two-dimensional characters in really expensive settings. And they put uh, Kenneth Rana as like Hercule Poirot to like just kind of poke around and be annoying, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he's so great at doing it because he's also like a Shakespearean stage Kenneth actor. Brenner, yeah, he's Kenneth yeah. Branagh. Yeah, he's like, Kenneth he's, <laughs> he's Kenneth Branagh. Like, so he's so good at being this sort of weird, chaotic character with all these really distracting details. And so like, White Lotus, the way that I understand it, is like a similar sort of thing that tries to get you closer to the characters that are on the boat, so to speak. And in place of like uh, 
like a Poirot character who kind of has all this like savoir faire and um, is, you know, suddenly made weaker for all of his heightened senses and, you know, powers of observation is replaced by this really goofy like hotel concierge that I absolutely love, Dave Armand. <laughs> Uh, played by Murray Bartlett, who's just having the time of his life. Like, uh, and the rest of it is just like a bunch of characters. Also, Jennifer Coolidge is in it, being like this wealthy, aging heiress who you know have no idea where her money comes from, but she's just desperate for a connection. And that seems like the most serious arc of the show. Despite mm-hmm. their like every episode having a, I mean every season having a death in it that is eventually solved. Um, the rest of it is just like tawdry white drama, you know, uh, in a in a in a exotic locale. Uh, you know, you sold your mom on this. I'm sure I couldn't sell my mom on White Lotus. It would never happen. My mom would be like, turn this shit off. <laughs> I mean, my sister it's might the same to keep it on, but. sort of like thing that you're like, there's what else were we going to watch? I guess is really like the, is, is the cut. Like, it's like, this was like, imagine all of the non choices that led to this happening. <laughs> Yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Like it was yeah. it was it's it's just like it was already the thing that was in your head when you when somebody asked you what you wanted like is there anything we just can't be here in silence for the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we need something to draft off of. Cuz I mean like really what it is is that like you know when you put on a new you put on a show when you go home for, for the holidays you're going to have to pause it 15 times. Somebody's going to get to go to the bathroom. Somebody's going to show up in the middle of it and want to tell you, catch you up on the last six months. And like, there's also like your mom's going to start a story that is completely unrelated to the third act, which is just starting now. <laughs> it's just like, you got to pick something that is massageable in that way. Yeah. It's like, okay. To that point, it might, Mike, listen, listeners, Mike and I were talking about this sort of like, as we were prepping for the show. Like, for instance, when The Irishman came out, what was that? That was like two holidays ago. It was like two Probably years ago. Probably two holidays. But the, it's not, a, you're like, it's not just The Irishman. It yeah. is a, it is a three and four, three hours and almost a four hour just mirthless Scorsese yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With a bunch of people in uncanny valley face makeup. Like, so... Yeah. Yeah. Like you really gotta be a fan of the of of the mafioso stuff for to to be in on that. Yeah, but like to to so the Irishman. Think of the Irishman. Like I'm glad Micah added that context just so everybody remembers <laughs> the Irishman, right? And it's like, think about it. Critic, critic brain. I, my theory is that the Irishman, for instance, really any movie, but The Irishman is just such a vivid example of this. It's like an entirely different movie when you watch it just because like when you watch it from that populist perspective of like you're watching it, but you're watching it with like your mom and your cousin, like as part of people doing shit for Thanksgiving versus when you watch it like you you work for 
theringer.com and you have a byline and you're going to write 2,000 words the week of this movie's release. I'm just sitting here when The Irishman came out and it's like, critics shit their pants over The Irishman. And, and it was like a thing and we all wrote pieces about it. But like, I watched The Irishman in a living room with my mom almost accidentally <laughs> watched a four-hour movie. <laughs> and you're right. It's like all this shit, like the face makeup shit. It's just like, you're like, it... It's, it's so much more absurd when you watch it the way that the average person is watching like, and Netflix. Like the way that you would have to like, ex- like it's just the way that you might think something is so interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then have your family hack it to pieces yeah. over the course of two hours. Like you can't chin stroke for four hours during the Irishman. No shot. Like- no shot. <laughs> like it is gonna be some it's gonna be some off the wall questions and some yarns are gonna be spun and there's gonna be some why does face look like that questions. Why look like that? Oh, why is it with blood? (laughs) What do you say? (laughs) But it's also, okay, so there's that, right? There's the kind of crosstalk of like watching it with your, again, like the people in your life who don't care that you write for a website. But it's also the fact that, think about it, the Irishman, the next thing you're going to watch after the Irishman immediately in a double feature is going to be the fucking, that one Christmas movie with Chris Brown and Idris Elba in it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the, <laughs> that's the nature of holiday viewing. Your double bill is Scorsese and Chris Brown at Thanksgiving, right? There's just nothing you can do about it. And to, to that point, so what was it? I watched the Trevor Noah thing and then I watched the fucking the Mario Lopez Hallmark movie, which is wow. actually... You know what? I'm not even going to... I'm okay. I'm not going to sit here and go, actually, pretty good. Because the the truth is, like, I barely even remember the plot. Like, the main thing is, like, Mario Lopez character, who we just go call Mario Lopez. I think he's called Billy Holiday in the movie. He's basically playing Billy Holiday? Yeah, they call this nigga Billy Holiday. Mario Lopez is called (laughs) Billy Holiday in this movie? No fucking way, nigga. But he basically... And and it's a whole joke to the movie because people keep saying shit about his last name. And anyway. (sighs) But... He basically plays himself. And in fact, the sort of like origin story in the movie for this dude is he's just, he's like a, because uh, remember like Mario Lopez from San Diego, he's been famous his whole goddamn life. And in the movie, his character has just been fired from a show that is basically dancing with the stars. And so it's, it's a classic like, he's too big for his britches and he's going back, you know, and hanging out with all the plebs. And I don't even remember if it's his hometown. And it's just like a cheesy Hallmark romance, right? Like, whatever. But we spent the whole movie, we spent the whole movie specifically talking about this nigga's Botox. Mario Lopez. Mario Lopez. Famous since he was like 20. My man is from San Diego. My man is Mexican. Just to get context for his genes or whatnot. We were looking at this man's face. And also keep in mind, like, he's trained in like jazz and tap dancing and shit. And this nigga Mario Lopez, if you look up his age on Wikipedia, he's 49. Mario Lopez is 49. Look Mario Lopez in the face in this Hallmark movie and tell me this man is 49 years old. There are whole sequences in this movie where he is like dancing, he's seawalking, he's doing crazy shit in this movie. 
And it's all we and we just talked to the whole movie talking about Mario Lopez and the fact that he hasn't aged. He looked cute as shit to this day. <laughs> and then we struck up like this fictional contrast with like uh, I don't know if you know what jo- Joey Lawrence looked like. Yeah. Do you remember like all is like Joey Lawrence? If you saw him on a like they did a reunion episode of that the fucking Mayan Bialik show, Call oh. Me Cat, where they got all the actors from Blossom and like Joey Lawrence, like I mean he's had some work done. He doesn't look, you know, he looks like okay, but it's like Joey Lawrence for being an actor from the same generation as Mario Lopez. It's like a contrast and like one of them looks like, okay, like he aged, he doesn't look super old, but he kind of looks like he's going through a midlife crisis. Meanwhile, you look at Mario Lopez, this nigga look like Pharrell. (laughs) He looks like Pharrell. I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I'm looking at it right now. And Joey Lawrence, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he got, (sighs) he got the back of the Madrid buzz cut going on. The buzz cut is what it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's not just the buzz cut. It's the yeah. buzz cut with the side part. Like, he's not white, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's just yeah. not... Uh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's rough. It's rough. And it's also... He, I think he wears, like, leather jackets a lot still to this day. And it, again, he has a kind of leathery, tanned quality to him that's not a good look. Whereas Mario Lopez just looks like Mario Lopez in 1996. I'm not even fucking kidding you. And if you watch the fucking Christmas movie he's in, where he plays himself, like one decent actor in the movie. Like he actually doesn't even have that kind of cheesy no one can act by. Like he actually is like pretty smooth dude in this whole movie. And two, like just I don't know, man. It's like the classic movie that only exists for you to talk through it with your mom about how Mario Lopez has an age, it, and then you zoom in and like talk about like yeah, he ain't got no wrinkles. Like the thing is that like God tier Botox. The you TV, the TV movie that's perfectly placed for like expertly toned commercial drops. Like yeah. you know, I you it's it's made for for you to also remind yourself that uh, I could get some Glade Senate plugins. Like. <laughs> <I hate you. laughs> Damn, I do want to go to the Target Cyber Monday sale. Yeah, like that shit. Well, I'm not going to watch it unless, you know, it, you know, happens upon me by force (laughs) at some point in the next couple of days. (laughs) But, uh, you know, good to know that Mario Lopez has still got it. My mom was also like talking about, because it's like, I don't know, we all, I think at holidays, we like watch shit like this. Because we know we're just going to talk through it. And it's like, you want something that's like low commitment. And I was like recommending to my mom and I'm now going to recommend, I might've mentioned this before, but I'm going to recommend this, this holiday season to listeners of this pod. I recommend nothing more than putting on a good evangelical Christian Christmas movie. Cause that's the real shit, bro. It's not even about like, I know people make fun of like Christian cinema in general, like independent Christian cinema, but like the Christmas movies these people make, that's the good shit, bro. That is the good shit. Wow. Okay. You know, you got to watch like country crush. Don't even watch the, um, Oh, what is the dude? Don't watch the Kirk Cameron one. Like that one is a little too kind of like preachy Com- and polemical. You gotta watch like therapy? Country Crush. It's <laughs> 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 like it's yeah. I'm like, I, yo, listen, I like 
Wait, Country Crush is what? What is because Country Crush is quite a title for for a holiday for a Christian holiday movie. Okay, so like there's this one movie, Country Crush. I think it's the one where it's like, um, it's like this couple meets because these two girls are hanging out and during the holiday season, and they're 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 driving together in like an unfamiliar town. And the car breaks down, and then the guy who comes out from the 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 auto garage to tow them in ends up being Kevin gay. Gates. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, mean, is, I thought we were finally getting the backstory. He was just kind of like, "Listen, I got this little thing. I do. I put my hands on the hood of a car. I said, speak nothing of this." And then they made a Hallmark movie. I thought that's what happened. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but like, okay, but Country Crush is like a classic kind of like bougie, liberal, godless uh, white woman with heathen friends meets, you know, charming, uh, charming, respectable old country young man, uh, you know, who, who will do right by her. You know, if only she abandons her forsaken urbane lifestyle. You know, like there's a lot of that <laughs> dynamic in these movies. That's incredible, actually. Uh, there's another, and there's another one about like a dep- I can't remember the name of this one. There's like a Christmas movie about a depressed vet who like comes back from Afghanistan or some shit and he works at like the Air Force Museum in this small town and then there's this like titty angel lady who like haunts the museum or something and then there's like it's like it's kind of like a ghost of Christmas past thing and you got flashbacks to him arguing with his ex-wife and then it becomes an end of Evangelia situation where she's like teleporting through the Air Force Museum who directed this Lars von Trier? Don't <laughs> tell you. Look, we, we, I'm, okay, we're going to put this in the episode notes because I'm doing this off the dome. But I'm telling you, I got like 10 of these in memory. They're probably all blended together. But like, I'm telling you, the moral of this shit is like, if you can just like at some point spare time, the, the time where you otherwise are going to be arguing about Vox articles with your uncle at Thanksgiving or whatever the fuck people do these days, instead, just put on that good evangelical Christmas shit and just be transfixed because that is my holiday tradition. And I, I need more people in on this because some of these movies, like I've watched a fucking like anti-union Christmas movie made by some <laughs> evangelical. Like I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's crazy shit. These people are making crazy shit. Like, oh, wow. Like, you know what? It, okay. It, it maps onto another moment where I was like, I got married earlier this year. Right. And part of it is like, we got married, very small ceremony in shit. Jersey. And like, we were driving. Uh, at the time, I still lived in Wisconsin. We were driving all the way from Wisconsin to Jersey, two days. And I remember we got to Western Pennsylvania, right? You know, Western Pennsylvania is kind of red. You know, it's very, it's, you know, it's very rural, yada, yada. You're driving through and you're picking up the the Christian radio stations, right? And there was one point, my wife's a minister, I should mention that. But like, at one point we looked at each other. I We put on the, the Christian stations because they had the best reception. And we looked at each other and we were like, damn, you know, in the past 10 years, like, the Christians kind of figured out Christian music. You know what I mean? Like, Christian music sounded way shittier, like, in the late 90s. You know what I mean? Like, Christian rock musicians had, like, two ideas and they were both bad. And now they got that Hillsong money. You know what I mean? I think it's the same thing that happened with 
Christian indie evangelical cinema is like at some point in the past 10 years, I'm not saying the movies are good, but they started doing that Hideakiano shit where all the movies are weird in very <laughs> special ways. You know, it's all Kojima. It's like if Kojima, they got a little sprinkle of Hideo Kojima. I mean, that would just be Kojima. This is a whole other co- this is a whole other conversation. But like the stuff that we talk about sometimes is wildly puritanical. We have, <laughs> we, we actually like don't touch on that enough. I think. <laughs> Wait, how do you mean? How do you mean? No, I'd like, there's like, um, I'm like, I'm just saying like a lot of, maybe we have talked about this and like, you know, in passing on our kind of describing what anime shit it means, like episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Check but, that out, listeners. Yeah, yeah, there's like a, like the, the culture of like a lot of, a lot of shows, like a lot of cartoons, a lot of these things like aimed at this age bracket or whatever, like have that puritanical undercurrent, like people being absolved of whatever or people deserving to die for having done this thing type yeah. of, uh, or she was uh, isolated and therefore, you know, we could have made these assumptions about her. Same for... Um, I, like, I mean, I, I think that probably I'm thinking like the, the biggest, like on the nose one, like, I think I was just watching like Noragami and like Fire Force at the same time. And both of mm-hmm. those are just so like strange in that way. Like watch them again with that in mind. If you're listening to this, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on this comp- while we're on this comparison of like uh, dumb anime shit and, and Christian Christmas like Christian evangelical Christmas movies okay I have to give a heuristic to listeners because again we'll pu- I'll put some titles in the show notes for specific recommendations I swear to god I hope people watch these things and like report back to me at the email address not only pod at gmail.com but a good heuristic, if you're, you're browsing, you're trying to figure out like, huh, okay, which which of these deranged evangelical Christmas movies is worth it? Every truly great one of these kinds of movies has one thing in common. There is always a wildly, relatively, wildly inappropriately dressed woman in these movies. There's always, and, and without fail, it will tank the sort of online star rating reviews for the movie because you'll have the outraged people being like, I mean, I thought the film had a good message, but the one horror <laughs> character, the one oh, horror no. character just was not wearing anything. And I don't know how they I was just supposed did to leave watch this to, with my kids. Yeah, I just did leave it up to the imagination. Yeah, there's a, I, yeah, yeah I, but I mean, it goes hand in hand with that thing that you're describing of like this person could have the salvation of a of a comfortable lifestyle if they leave behind their you know promiscuous yeah. urbane life type plot line. Yeah, that goes hand in hand with that. Yeah, this is like it's probably some like, and I assume like wildly inappropriately dressed for the occasion like i, I i'm assuming yeah. that you mean like it's yeah, just kind of like, like she's an evening cocktail attire and everybody else is at a bus stop type thing right but it's all like country crush is a good example of it because there's one sequence when they sort of like 
they're leaving the sort of idyllic small town uh, place where the auto, like the guy who works at the auto garage works. And they're we're following back the female lead to her urbane hellscape, right? And there is, in the middle of this fucking evangelical Christian movie, there's like a dance sequence in a fucking strip club with her friend, you know, the friend who represents the sort of temptation of the oh, of the man. natural world. It's like she's where she got her titties out in the club. Is she dancing? And it's like this is a good what, this is on the 700 club? Like what is this? <laughs> like I felt like an outraged, I felt like an outraged pro-life woman in the <laughs> comment <laughs> section watching that shit. Yeah. You who know what I mean? Is, who wouldn't be jarred by this? Who is this hussy? <laughs> this where y'all meet for y'all Thursday get together? Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's all I got. I don't know. I have no, I I will. It's I will just that the music in strip clubs is so loud. Like you can't even talk to your homie like that. Like it's just like it's, this is. If you were told about your trip to the country, like you know, you're gonna have to go someplace after anyway. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I have logis- I have logistical issues with this. Oh my god. Um. <laughs> so do the people who reviewed that movie on Amazon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's all we got. Like, listeners, please write in with your holiday viewing. Uh, soundonlypod at gmail.com. Uh, we're still figuring out what we're going to talk about for year-end content. Because, look, what do we got left? We got, like, Glass Onion and Avatar 2. I'm not talking about Avatar 2. I ain't watched Avatar 1, bro. Like, I didn't... I got nothing. Um, yeah, we already we already said that we we have talked about sexy underwater people, I think, as much as we're going to <laughs> in 2022. <laughs> um, we got a uh, SZA album and a dream. That's all we got left in 2022, all right? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, email us with... Um, stuff that you would like to to us to talk about you know going into the new year perhaps we'll do some like you know sound only guides to or something of that nature i have no idea you know this time last year we just whipped out a random black knight review like maybe we'll just do something well, we, that, that. We, we, we might do something like that again who knows we might shit we'll find out uh on that note though cliffhanger I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Michael Peters. Shouts out to our producer, Stefan Anderson. We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>